Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, delighted to be joined by Colm O'Reilly, CEO at Business Post. Colm, you're very welcome to the show. Great to be here, Ian. Thanks very much for the invitation. Delighted to be here. And I'm delighted to have you. Colm, typical fashion of the show is you spend the first couple of minutes getting to know the guest. I've done some research on you. I don't know exactly where you grew up. We're going to take a guess from your accent and the fact that you're a Dublin GAA fan, that it was Dublin that you grew up in. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, actually, born in Castlebar, County Mayo, uh, which is uh, uh, my father worked for the old Hibernian Insurance, which is now part of Aviva. And he went around the country opening up their branch offices. So I've got two siblings and uh, all of us are born in different counties as a result. But grew. I was born in Castlebar, but look, we left very early and moved to Clontarf on Dublin's north side, which has been home for the last 40 plus years. So uh, very much a uh, a dub and uh, and I you know it, it does cause however for the last number of years every September rolled around and it was Dublin Mayo in the final and uh, it caused a bit of ribbon from the mates but you know I'm a, I'm a dub for all intents and purposes for sure for sure well I've got the accent as well but I was born in England and moved home when I was one so yeah um, similar story familiar story yeah um tell me I, I know that you're a Dublin fan also a Liverpool fan as well um, but tell me, what was life like growing up in 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 Dublin when you were younger? Any favourite stand-up memories, hobbies? Yeah, well, I, look, I mean, I, I'm uh, I'm at the stage now. I turned fifty this year, so um, really, sort of growing up was late seventies and the eighties. And look, there wasn't a lot, you know. I mean, without certainly it wasn't Angela's Ashes, but certainly it wasn't a lot either. So very much, I was into sport. Uh, I played every sport I could possibly get my hands on. Um, football, hurling were the great loves. Played some soccer as well. Um, badminton I was on the cross country team so I was very very sporty indeed I was big into the outdoors as well I was in scouts for a long time I did the Cubs and the scouts route and uh, enjoyed hiking and going on jamborees and camps and stuff and and really you know the sound of memories of those years was you know we didn't have a lot of money um, there was nothing by way of major investment like you know a trip to the cinema was probably about as as adventurous as it got and I well remember them building, you know, the, the UC, what they were, the UCI cinemas, the, the multiplexes, because, of course, you know, when I was growing up, it was the Adelphi and it was Savoy and O'Connell Street. And uh, been from Clontarf, we used to go to Fairview, to the cinema there in Fairview, which is now a, a Tesco Express. So, you know, like I say, look, it wasn't exactly Andalus Ashes, but at the same time, you know, it was a different time. And I certainly look at my own kids now and the lives they lead versus what I did as a child, uh, hugely different. But, you know, we had great crack and um, stayed on the right side of the law, um, had good crack, got through school and yeah, really enjoyed it. Phenomenal years. I hope I'm not the only one thinking, listening to this, that you've got a great voice. I don't know if you've been told that before, but your voice is cracking. <laughs> I haven't actually. No, I I tend to be one of those guys in the back room. Um, you know, I then I, later in my career, as I went through college and into career, uh, became an accountant and from there into finance and there into being a CEO. So I've never really done a lot of these type of things. So thanks for the the voice. Maybe it's something I'll look into now as a future career. But uh, but no, that's the first time I've heard that one. You mentioned finance, and I do want to get to that. But finance is in Diageo. Why study business studies in Trinity then? Yeah. So, um, I, well, if I'm hugely honest, I, I will actually, I'll take it back. Um, 
my father was a businessman in insurance and both of my siblings, my brother and my sister, who are a bit older than me, were both in the workplace well before I was. And our table every evening, and particularly on Sundays, was all chat about business because they worked in insurance as well. So all three worked in insurance. And any time a factory burned down or there was any type of flood or claim, there was a race home to find out whose insurance company got hit with the bill, right? And so these conversations happened all the time, um, assist, assessing risks, what was going on in Ireland, businesses that were coming on, and particularly as the FDI started to happen and new businesses came in. This, this was always the talk around the table. So as a school kid, I didn't really have any interest in languages, didn't really have any interest in, in science or chemistry. I loved business economics and accounting. And so I knew when I was doing the CAO practice, this whole CAO routine, for me, it was all about finding business courses. And just with the randomness of the CAO, to be honest, I pretty much on the 10 spots in the CAO form, I put down business everywhere I could possibly think of. And the look of the draw was I ended up doing BESS in Trinity. So I did uh, business and economics, uh, absolutely loved it. Phenomenal program, phenomenal four years. And, uh, and that's where I kind of did the business side of things. A lot of the guys I went to college with, um, you know, it, it, at the time, um, Michael Lewis had, had written Liar's Poker, Barbarians at the Gate had been a very influential business book. Um, Oliver Stone had made Wall Street. A lot of the guys I was in college with, they were they had their sights and their careers set on going to, to Wall Street in New York or going to the city of London, getting into trading, investment management. That's I couldn't, I had no interest in it, not any interest. I was into, I like brands. And, and so I set my heart on finding a, a program where I could go into an FMCG style company. And I thought the best route for me was finance. And that's how that all, that's how that came about. The accounting was by accident, really. Um, it was just how things really panned out more than a, a design or a plan. Okay, so now that you've connected to the dots, let's rewind to 2003. I know you joined the Agile. You spent six years there, finishing up as a finance director. Further four years at the Choice Hotel Group, Group Finance Director, and then three years after that as the Finance Director for Mercantile Entertainment Group. The question here, though, is uh, in those, what was it, 6, 10, 13 years, uh, you've no doubt gained a ton of experience about managing people and growing businesses. So looking back, are there perhaps one or two skills that you, or behaviours that you got the chance to improve bonding and rapport, managing a team that you carried with you to future roles? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I learned about myself fairly quickly as, as a finance guy, an accountant. Um, what I enjoyed was the commercial side of the business. And what I particularly enjoyed was working in teams of people. Um, I love solving problems. It's been at the heart of me since I've been, I don't know, knee high to grasshopper. Problem solving skills is, you know, uh, and even now, um, you know, uh, the Anorak in me loves to do a Sudoku puzzle when I get the opportunity, right? So I love solving problems. I was never that type of finance um, guy and my career was never about doing audits and VAT returns and, you know, the governance side of the role. What I loved being a part of was analyzing performance of businesses, brands, products, and then trying to improve those businesses, brands and products and working alongside the marketing operations sales teams to make that happen. So, so being that type of person and, you know, never been really afraid to talk in a crowd, um, what I found was well, the things that I learned through those brilliant organizations where I learned so much. Um, I, I found out two things about the finance role. One, it's about being impactful at the right times. Um, you know, the finance guy's role in those conversations is very much about bringing things back to facts and data. And that was my role. Um, and very much I found that 
it was a case of let other people let other people come up with the ideas let them talk them through and then bring my analysis my analytical brain to the conversation to be able to shape it in a way that actually moved things forward and i think that was one of the most crucial things the second thing i also found was that um it really gave me an, an insight into proper collaboration um in the sense that often when you go onto teams and groups the more senior people will, will naturally take the lead and often the rest of the team the role that they play is fulfilling the wishes and desires of the senior people and sometimes that happens i found particularly in these organizations and Giacci would have been brilliant at this um you know world-class organization that it is there was huge empowerment into the team and the team collaborated in a way that truly was around trying to solve the problem or get to the goal and the senior people often just gave a rough direction we're here we want to get there you guys sort the problem out and it was hugely empowering and enriching in terms of how i felt about myself and the role that i played in these things and they're the type of things that i've tried to bring through in my own career as i left diageo went into choice choice into the mercantile group and, and now subsequently to the business post they're the type of things that i've tried to bring with me that sense of creating collaboration in teams trying to empower people and for me now at this later stage in my career taking that step back to sort of describe where we want to get to but let other people get there nice to hear those lessons you've carried with you um Colm, you're now the ceo of business post you've referenced it a couple of times so you joined in 2019 rather than me give the 30 second commercial you'll do a better job because you are the ceo so the mic is yours yeah so the business post um you know, I, I work alongside Endo Kunin, who's a, an entrepreneur and investor, and we were looking for something in the in the media space, and you know, uh, particularly in that digital media space, because we it was such a, a hot a hot a hot area, and and we felt it was ripe for investment. Um, and when the Business Post opportunity came across my desk, um, I rang Enda and he said, "Newspapers must be kidding me." And anybody we spoke to, it was a case of newspapers must be kidding me. It's a sunset industry. You know, um, it's too challenged. It's never going to be able to compete um, with, you know, everything goes online and digital. It's just not going to be able to compete. And that's not what I saw. Um, what I saw was an amazing 30-year-old brand that had a huge loyal following that, and, and, and a niche product. And I think niche products often are those products that survive the best in challenging environments. Um, but what I saw was a product that had a great opportunity to go digital because it was still doing pretty well in the sales, still performing reasonably well in the financials, but yet had lacked investment. And we felt with investment, we could really bring it to the next level in terms of its strategy and in terms of the digital frontier. And that's what we've done over the last three years um, is really kind of put money in behind the business to, to grow and drive it digitally and yet try and maintain our print. And that's how we've taken it forward. And so far, touch wood, succeeding. Uh, tough environment, probably tougher to be thought. But the one thing that was hugely important in the whole thing, Rian, is that people now read more news than they ever have done. Right. When we did the research and buying the company, we found the average person has six news apps on their phone. Now, I'm going to use Junkie, so I got 13, but the average person has six. And some people even don't realize they have news apps because they'll say, oh, I'm into football and I've got this football app. And that football app turns out to be the Daily Mail app. Right. So news apps have changed the, 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 uh, the pitch completely. And people, you know, are taking news from all over the world. The amount of people I know now who have New York Times subscriptions or subscriptions to The Guardian. It's just incredible. So news is hugely popular. It always has been. That's not the challenge. The challenge is more in the space of how you commercialize digital products, digital content from a news perspective. But uh, but when we saw the, the business post, we thought this could be a real winner. And like I say, so far, so good. I know, I know the business itself has multiple different pillars, but focusing specifically on the content and more specifically business post.ie, 
I imagine there's two main income streams. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Advertisers and subscriptions. Uh, focusing on subscriptions, how do you plan to continue to acquire more? I know there's partnerships that you've vocally talked about. There's acquisitions that you've come in and that, since you've come into the company and acquired perhaps new markets you plan to go into. Anything you can publicly say in terms of how you yeah. plan to acquire more customers? Well, the, fir the first thing we saw, Reen, when we bought the business was that um, we needed to broaden the experience, okay? So up to that point, the business had a print product um, which came out every Sunday, it was a weekly, and it has a digital product which came out every day but probably didn't have the, uh, a huge volume of stories. The first thing we wanted to do was, having looked around the world of best practice, and um, we looked at UK, US, Germany, Scandinavia, Holland and Belgium, and the markets we felt that was most applicable was to Ireland, was Scandinavia. And I think this is a mistake a lot of Irish companies make when they're looking to change their business model. They tend to focus on the English language countries. And for us, that didn't make sense. Ireland is a small market, 5 million people, right? Mm -hmm. And so where we found actually companies of the same scale and same size and facing the similar challenges was actually in Scandinavia. And what we saw up there was more holistic operating models for news uh, publishing companies. Um, very much uh, the area of events was a huge piece that was being so successfully done in Scandinavia, really bringing the journalism and bringing the content into a live environment. And that's through conferences, events, business breakfasts, lunches, that type of thing. Um, and we invested quite a We acquired three companies in that space very quickly um, in the first 12 months. Um, the second thing we understood, again, looking at best practice in these countries was the role of data. And, and this is where you get into utilizing people's journeys and their and their through your website and then being able to tailor products to them. So we started to look at how we use newsletters. Okay. The ultimately our goal with our content, we we believe we produce the best business and politics content in Ireland, par, bar none. We've got the biggest newsroom um, in terms of business and political journalists. And we are the thinking, we like to think of ourselves as the thinking person's paper. We're about analysis, we're about insights, we're about taking the news that you've already heard, but actually telling you something about it that you didn't already know. But the goal for us to be successful commercially is for us to be able to take that content and to provide it to people in a way and a format that suits them. It's not about what suits us, it's about what suits them. So we've invested behind podcasts, we've experimented with video. Hasn't gone brilliantly so far, but I don't think the market is quite really tuned into video. And of course, we've really started to improve our social media presence. Instagram was something that wasn't been done in the company up until about two years ago, for example. So from that content perspective, we believe the content is really strong. So if we can get the content in front of the eyeballs, we think that is the key to driving subscriptions. And what's been terribly successful for us, Rian, has been um, our trials. So we, we like people to be able to trial the product we gave it to them for very cheap, either 50 cents a week or, or a euro for the first week. And what we then generally find is once they've actually had an opportunity to trial it, they love it. And that's what keeps them back as a subscriber. But it's how we bring the holistic piece of podcasts, newsletters, data, events, and how we give them a, a, an experience that's much more outside of their, their Sunday read, their broadsheet Sunday read. We find, we'll feel that's what the future is built on. And that's what our strategy is about. Your content is very good. Um, Sticking with your role as CEO, uh, now that it's towards the end of the year, I'm assuming there's a lot of other CEOs sitting in boardroom meetings thinking about strategy as we get into the next year. Um, so when you have that hat on and you're looking at other companies that are looking to scale up over the next couple of years, what are some blind spots that you think they should be aware of if they're looking to scale? Things like you know, not onboarding people properly, not having a common language, not building the bench, so on and so on and so on. 
I think um, I think there's a couple of pieces to this, and and then we'll put a COVID shield around it, right? Um, but I, I think that the, particularly for look, we're an SME, okay? You know, um, the group now has got revenues in the range of eighteen to twenty million. Um, the content side, um, we're in around the kind of ten million mark at this stage, and um, to scale the company, particularly as we try to get more and more of the diaspora involved with the brand particularly US, UK, and, and Irish diaspora within Europe, particularly those kind of three geographical areas. Um, the, the challenge for us is about pace. It's about really pushing ourselves, right? And, and I think that's one of the things for companies that they always have to be um, cognizant of. The world is changing so quickly, so rapidly, that yesterday's plans are exactly that, they're yesterday's plans. Um, and you constantly have to be evolving your model. But to be able to do that, foundations must be in place and this is something we spent a lot of time within the business post doing putting the right structures and the right processes because when the structure is right and people are clear what the structure is what their roles and responsibilities are within the structure and then you have defined processes that everybody knows what their role is in the team exactly like the WGAA footballers are right know your role within the team when you can take those two things put them together it allows you then to focus on the stuff that at the higher level things like pace things by agility Right. But if the structure and processes aren't right, pace and agility don't come. You get so far and then they break down. Right. And then you're back to starting to understand, well, why did they break down or why is the customer's experience is not um, enjoyable? Why is the satisfaction not there? and Why are they leaving you? And often when you get to that, get down to the bottom of that and you really look at the root problem, it's because your process, or your structure is not right. So my advice or, or kind of my tuppence on this to any CEO who's looking to scale is scale will only come when structures and processes are properly defined and the people in your organization understand that and understand the roles they play within the structure and process. What's the biggest challenge that you think Irish publishers face over the next two years? Well, it's an interesting time for the industry and there's no, there's no two ways about it. Um, what I would say is as an industry, um, big tech is our single biggest battle. That is the battlefront is, is, is big tech. And, and they're very complex relationships. And that's not to mean, you know, I'm going to sit here and bash Google or Facebook or, or LinkedIn or Twitter or anybody else, right? Um, because we have very complicated relationships with them at so many different layers, right? So we use Google for advertising, for example, right? So we, we, are, a, we are a customer and a supplier at the same time with Google. So it, it's very complicated. But certainly what is true for Ireland, small country with a small number of publishers, there's, there's seven publishers creating 16 different newspapers. And then, and then my role as chair of news brands, you know, I've got, uh, I, I work with these other publishers to make sure that we're, we're fighting for our industry. And, you know, the single biggest uh, challenge is, as I said earlier on, 72% of Irish people read a newspaper, um, either online or digital, or either online or, or in physical hard copy every month, right? So it's not about the audience. The audience is there and the audience trusts the brands. It's the monetization and the commercialization of our digital product and how we compete with Google and Facebook for advertising dollars. That is the single biggest challenge. The problem is that the legislation that's in place and the frameworks that are there are outdated. So we still have a legislation uh, environment whereby the uh, older methodologies of TV, radio, print, there's legislation to control those things. But as the internet came up over the top, it has turned black and white into gray. And the market is now really morphing into one market in terms of how content works. You know, and, and that's how we work with our the government, civil service, the legislators, 
how we work with big tech and have those conversations is going to be hugely important because fundamentally, and I really do believe this, the foundations of any liberal democratic society is based on the freedom of press and having a press that people can trust and respond to. Mm -hmm. And for Google and Facebook, they will tell you they're not publishers. They are platforms and they are a route to market for other people's content. So that content that we provide, that news that we tell, whether it's the under 12s, you know, um, uh, other 12s, uh, county final in Longford, or whether it is a an explosive piece of uh, inside information from a government source or a business source, that content has to be protected and has to have a way that it can flourish within the modern digital world. Um, because if we don't find ways to do that, our fear is that that content will die. And, you know, five years ago, I never heard of the phrase fake news, right? And yet fake news is now something that everybody is cognizant of. Um, and I think we, as Irish people, I think we were very lucky. I think we've got some great publishers who, you know, work day in, day out um, to ensure that the, the quality and the integrity of their product is brilliant. Um, we've got a, all of us, you know, within the industry, as a government civil service and big tech, we've got a role to ensure that we protect that and ensure that it still survives. Kudos to you and your team for what you do. Um, three final questions for you, Colm. Is there a tool out there that you use in your business life that you just cannot live without? Like a communication tool, an app? Um, uh, okay. um, actually, if I'm, if I'm honest, it's the phone. Um, and, and particularly with COVID, um, with all due respect to this Zoom call, I am sick to death of Zoom calls. Um, my phone is absolutely key. Uh, I use email a lot, uh, but I speak to my team. I speak to my people every day. Um, it is, it's, it's personally how I communicate. It's personally how I come across best. Um, within our organization, we've obviously got, you know, um, CRM systems and sales systems. We've got audience management systems. We've got, you know, uh, an end-to-end -end publishing system. And of course, they're crucial to the mechanics of the organization working. Um, but, at a, but at a personal level, it is the good old-fashioned phone. And uh, I, I read a piece, interesting, an interesting piece recently in, a, in, a, in another newspaper, which said that um, some millennials find that it's rude to ring uh, using the phone, that uh, they prefer you to text or to make an appointment for a phone call, which, uh, which for me, I find incredible. Uh, I, I ring people re regularly and liberally and just do it. And the phone is absolutely crucial to me. I, I agree. I rarely text. I usually just ring. I find it, I find it faster to get an answer when you ring than why wait texting. Um, 100%. What's your personal definition of success? Oh, gosh. <laughs> that, that, that usually always gets people at those. Yeah, isn't it, doesn't it? Um, within the journey that we're on within the Business Post and, and you know, through my history at Diageo and, and Choice Hotels and, and the Mercantile Group and, and indeed prior to that, Bass in the UK, um, you know, I, I guess as I've grown older and taken on more responsibility, um, uh, I probably think about success differently. Um, it's not necessarily growing sales, it's not necessarily growing profits and cash flow or restructuring businesses or all that, that good stuff. Um, I think I define success um, based on um, my own levels of personal satisfaction, right? Um, I look myself in the mirror and I know if I've done a good job. And, and I try to get that across to people that, you know, if you have those high levels of integrity, you know, you can't fool yourself, right? And you know whether you've done the job and you've done the and, and of course, in doing the job, there's, there's two components. There's what you do and there's how you do it. Okay. And the vast majority of people you meet, in, in my experience, um, you know, define success by the what, not necessarily by the how. 
and often I think that's that can be lost. And and sometimes you know uh, how you impact somebody or how you impact another company or how you behave in a situation is far more important than the outcome of actually what you did. So I try to think about success on the basis of you know how I do things as much as what I do, um, because the what is very easy to measure. The how is much more difficult. Um, so you know how we. Um, success for us in the business is what our employees think of the business, right? What our employees think of the management and the leaders. Um, and then within the broader community, you know, how are we viewed within publishing and outside of publishing, how are we viewed within society? Um, and they can be difficult to measure. But as I say, I look myself in the mirror and generally, you know, I, I don't try to cut myself. If I've done it well, I'll, I'll take satisfaction of that. And if I haven't, then I do try to think, how do I do it better the next time? And I hope that's not too cliched. I like it. Final question for you is if you were the final decision maker in adding a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? Oh, gosh. A mandatory subject. A mandatory subject to the, uh, to the curriculum. Um, I think when you look at, um, I think when you look at the, how the junior cert, and I've got a, I've got a 16 year old who has okay. did junior cert last year, uh, or, or rather didn't do junior cert last year, more to the point, um, and is in transition year this year. Um, and I think the role of sciences is, you know, and science was never my personal thing, but I think when I sit back and I look at Ireland Inc and where we're going, I think the role of science is absolutely, it, it just, the importance of it can't be overstated. And for it not to be a mandatory subject, uh, you know, once you get past the junior cert and into the leaving cert, I think it's something we have to take a long, hard look at because, you know, the foundation of our, and, and let, let, you know, I think everybody realizes the Ireland built its reputation globally and internationally based on the quality of its education system. Right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, English, Irish and math are the three core subjects that you take from as soon as you step into a secondary school, right through to your leaving cert, you've no option, you've got to do them. Um, and, and it stood us really well for the last 80 years. But I think going forward, science has to have a role there um, because I think the knowledge economy and the economies of the future are going to be a lot less um, about uh, English, Irish and math and a lot more about how we think about new emerging technologies. And, you know, Ireland has had a tremendous run over the last 30 years. Um, but if we're to keep it going, I think we have to be able to position ourselves at the very highest level across the globe as having the best people and why people will invest in this country and not just down to the fact that your corporate tax rate used to be 12 and a half percent. I've had 162 guests answer that question this year and that's my favorite answer. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll put that down to the jet lag of, uh, <laughs> and the rambling through the jet lag. Well, we're at the end of the interview column. I'll leave links to both your personal LinkedIn account and the business post.ie as well. If there's anything else you want me to leave links to trial link or anything just send it on to me and i'll leave it below in the comment field but for now colin o'reilly ceo of business post thanks again for being my guest today rian i've had a great time really enjoyed the conversation thank you for having me on the show and uh, i look forward to seeing you down the road